Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. This episode is part of a series I made for my main podcast, I Heart Movies, in 2021. I don't have anything new to add to or edit from this one, so I'm going to leave it as is, and we can get right into the episode. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and welcome back to the Disney Movie Marathon. Today we're moving on to Disney's penultimate package feature with Melody Time. This was Disney's second attempt at making a more modern, Fantasia-esque musical film, pairing big-name musicians of the day with animated shorts, and putting together a wide variety of cartoons that kind of went together, but also kind of not really. But they were working during the war, and also trying to recover financially after the war, so they had to make do with what they had until they could afford to move back into more traditional features. Melody Time, like Make My Music Before It, and kind of all the package features to some degree, is a bit of a mixed bag. But on the whole, I think I enjoyed it more than Make My Music. To a point. But we'll get to that. Joining me, as always, is my cousin Sarah, who has even stronger opinions on some of this than I did, and as a result, I think this actually may be one of our best podcasts yet. Okay, melody time. Any initial thoughts? I think early on when it started, I was already feeling like this is better than the last one. Mm-hmm. Overall, I think I agree. Yeah, I still have a flavor in my mouth. <laughs> From <laughs> we'll the get last to the one. flavor. Yeah, we'll get to the flavor, but first the some some of the good stuff because I need to be reminded now of the good <laughs> things in it versus the bizarre or yeah. inappropriate things. <laughs> the last one was the, probably the longest and it overshadowed everything that came before. Yeah. Whew. Well, it starts out with the song Melody Time, sung by Buddy Clark, who I'm not familiar with. Neither I am I. There were different people in here where yeah, I was I was using Google where you'd think maybe I would know, but I didn't. Hmm. This song is in the movie, sung by these anthropomorphic theater masks, which is a little strange, but they made them sort of cuter than you would mostly think of, like, a theater mask, because I know a lot of people think theater masks are creepy. The one that I'm recalling that they made was not actually bad. I mean, if it was coming at you in the dark, but <laughs> it was yeah, fine. It was fine. After the first intro song, you get the first cartoon once upon a winter time and it starts kind of cute it's like this wintry scene there's these giraffe horses that are pulling <laughs> a sleigh that's one of the things about these cartoons is that they are very stylistic artistic mm -hmm. and i appreciate that they were doing that mm -hmm. so i didn't really have a problem with the giraffe horses no they were cute i liked them i had other issues <laughs> Well, this is about these teenagers, I guess, who are going ice skating. Young people. They could have been college age, who knows. Okay. But, you know, this is the olden times, so maybe they were teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? I don't know. When I started watching this, the thing that came to my mind was, like, my mom would like this. There were, like, these little <laughs> lacy details and the singing and the snow. And, yeah, she would probably really like it. Mm -hmm. I mean... 
And of course you have classic cartoon of adorable little creatures who <laughs> do more than regular animals would do <laughs> for for humanity. <laughs> Some of these little animals I was thinking this would be the perfect place to have like a cameo from like a Bambi character like Thumper and his wife. That, they would have been perfect for the rabbit couple that were in this. I almost feel like there were one or more there were different things that reminded me of mm -hmm. other Disney movies throughout these cartoons. Yeah. So, but I don't know if anybody did in this particular one. No, I don't think so. I was just thinking that. I was like, these they're so, they're so close that it would have been a great place for a cameo. And then you have this pair of bunnies that are basically mirroring the date mm -hmm. of the humans, but in the animal kingdom. And both getting in trouble with their women. I want to think, okay, can I... Can I annoyingly vent for a moment. <laughs> That's this... what podcasts is for. Okay. Um, I think it's wonderful for, for men to be attracted to women. <laughs> but these cartoons, <laughs> like, they're always inserting something. Like, she's wearing her big fluffy dress and she's bending over to put on her skates. And it's like... The rabbit is ogling her, <laughs> and and the female rabbit covers his eyes. Okay, she's bending over, and her her pantaloons are showing in a way that would not was not historically accurate. Um, <laughs> and honestly, there wasn't really anything to say, but it was just one of those things of them inserting that and it's supposed to be cute and funny or something. I don't know, but it was just, it was unnecessary and annoying and detracted from the cuteness of the cartoon. So that's kind of my, and, and it kept happening, but, but that particular instance, it was like, they were just being obvious about it and I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like there's a bunch of those, like with this one and then, one of the previous ones, Make My Music, a bunch of those. Different cartoons in that. They just put little... Yeah, where they want to insert women's underwear showing and men getting... Or, or like, really exaggerated female figures and male characters getting all excited about it. And it's just, like, it's not... It's not necessary. And this one almost made, like, the least sense because they have so much clothes on because it's the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, a little bit of ankle was exciting. So, anyway. Yeah. That ramble aside, for the most part, this is an adorable cartoon. Mm-hmm. But it does take a turn because after all <laughs> of the, the on-ice stuff, there's, like, a little tiff. Yeah. And... The women march away. And, and they're not paying attention that they're heading towards thin ice. And then the male rabbit doesn't help by sticking the thin ice sign back in the ice, which cracks the ice. Technically, <laughs> he caused the whole accident. Maybe they would have been fine. Yeah, who knows. But, I mean, neither of the men were that much help. <laughs> yes. The, the little animals and the horses did more to the, save oh, them than I love, else. Oh, I love the plot twist with that. Because... <laughs> And honestly, they should have just gone under the water and probably died, but they didn't. They're floating downstream, and all of a sudden, there's a very convenient, deathly waterfall. But the squirrels and birds take charge, and the horses as well, and come 
and rescue them. The men don't actually <laughs> rescue them. They get them. stuck in a snowbank or something. And I, like, the squirrels were barely a character before this, but apparently they were the <laughs> chaperones or something. I don't know. It was very cute. And it's not what I expected. So, <laughs> and apparently, you know, I said, like, they're, they're not getting any credit for this. It didn't look like it. And it's like, I would want credit, but <laughs> yeah. And yeah, because everybody was out cold. So they ought to their to the to the way they're looking at things, they just somehow survived. <laughs> yeah, miraculously ended up back with their guys and then they went home and had a jolly time with and the birds and the squirrels came home with them, so yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's a cartoon, but very cute. Mm-hmm. Then we get the next segment, which is Bumble Boogie. And this was sort of, but not exactly, a cartoon that was planned for Fantasia. Really? It started out that way. Like, I, it wasn't like a jazz in Fantasia. It was going to be like straight, like the Rimsky-Korsakov okay. piece. But they, once it was cut from that, they decided they'd try again. And they put it in this one instead and made it more jazzy. Because all of these are sort of, they're more modern music. Mm -hmm. This is another one that's sort of like a modern Fantasia. But this one is more coherent with the music, I think. This one is more coherent than Make Mine Music, yes. But with this one, music aside, I mean, that obviously took a lot of skill to do. Mm -hmm. But I really appreciated the artistry Mm -hmm. of this one. They... It was very creative. It was a little bit Alice in Wonderland. Mm, very. And a little bit of maybe a little pink elephants on parade. Yeah. Well, the caterpillar in there was yeah. a little bit. And was this was this the one that had the lips too, or was that blame it on the samba? Blame it on the samba. Okay. Either way, there was some pink elephants inspiration in different parts of this movie. But the way they just turned piano keys into different things like butterflies and things yeah flower flower pianos this one for the for the artistry of it is interesting to watch i appreciated how creative they got Mm -hmm. i i really like this one it's near the top of my favorites and very very colorful yes so if you like extremely colorful things there's more than one cartoon in here that is very very colorful and with this one it's never it's not, like, specifically credited to her, but I could see Mary Blair's influence in this. Like, I don't have any proof, and it's not mentioned on the Wikipedia page specifically, but she did work on this film, so I feel fairly confident in saying that she at least helped with this You saw short. the style. Yeah, it just seemed very Mary Blair. One of these times we should probably watch a documentary on her. I wonder if there is one. I think there probably is. But there are at least two books on her. Okay. I should search Disney Plus. Maybe they'd have something. I know on um on YouTube I saw somebody doing a review talking about two different books and how I think one covered maybe more of certain type of art or just the art itself and the other one really delved into the history as well as having art in it. So hmm. you would enjoy something like that. Yeah. Then the next segment is The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. And this one I remembered. I don't remember how I remembered it, but I think it might have been 
on the same VHS that Peter and the Wolf was on when we had a video we had as a kid. This was totally memory lane for you. You even started singing along at one point. Yeah. So I remember I remember the short. I just I'm not 100% sure why I remember it. I have zero memory of this cartoon. <laughs> I must not have grown up with this at all. Yeah. A lot of these shorts, like this and Make My Music, they were used, like they cut the movie apart and used the shorts in other things. Sure. So that's that which had should, to have happened with this. Which would be easy to do. Yeah, definitely. But this one is basically just the mythology surrounding Johnny Appleseed. It's not like pretending to be his real life. You have this angel who looks like Davy Crockett <laughs> who appears to him. One of the things that I liked and that ties into the end is the way it began because you have, there's a lot of pink in this cartoon, okay? A lot of, you have the pink blossoming trees and the mm -hmm. pink clouds and there's sort of an illusion, I think, at the beginning of the clouds being apple blossoms or... If it's not if it's not at the beginning, it's definitely at the end. Yeah, but I feel like it, they tied it together. Yeah. And yes, this was very fictitious. Now I need to go watch a documentary on the real Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> He's this one's basically a, a lovely Christian young man who sings and grows apples and is so gentle that he tames the wild beasts. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and he's just, he's very sweet. Um, don't ever go out into the wilderness thinking that you can do that. <laughs> well, I don't know how much of that is true, but I was looking at his Wikipedia page, and there is precedent for some of it. Because apparently he was, like, taming animals and, and all sorts of things. Okay, so he reminds me of, oh, I can't remember his name, but there's, yes, if you spend enough time with animals and if you have a gentle heart and they can tell that you genuinely care about them, it's amazing what can actually happen. So, yeah, but I doubt that he was a vegetarian <laughs> and... He was later in life. Ah, oh, man! Okay, so it's all true, kids. <laughs> it's all true. You can go out into the wilderness wearing a pot for a hat and br bring no food, just seeds and a Bible, and you will be perfectly safe. And nobody sue me because this is very sarcastic. Yeah, there's a, another scene in here, like midway through, where he's like watching some pioneers who are eating the fruits of his labor. And here we have, I think it's a cameo. I couldn't find any proof, but I'm pretty sure that Chip, <laughs> Chip and Dale is in this scene. It, it was his great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, the, I mean, it looked exactly like Chip. It sounded exactly like Chip. It acted exactly like Chip. All it needed was a Dale, and, it and I would have, have proof. Yeah. But, I mean... I'm 99% sure they did that on purpose. It had to have been Chip. And why not? <laughs> but this one, it sort of... I don't want to say it ends the same as the opera whale from Make My Music, but it has to me, a similar flavor. To me, it's so different because he... It's not, it's not violent <laughs> No, tragic. he just gets old and he's not ready to be done working but it's time for him to go to heaven and his angel comes for him and he doesn't want to 
go, but he's convinced because the angel wants him to come plant apple trees, which is sort of like I'm sure to a lot of people that would be like, oh yeah, he totally went and planted apple trees in heaven. You know what? What do I know? Um, <laughs> I I doubt it, but what do I know? And and this is where you get the the imagery of the apple blossoms in heaven, like the trees yes, very, turn into apple trees. Very very fanciful. Very fanciful. It's kind of like the thing of rainbows or the heaven of flowers, which is a nice idea, even though I don't believe it. I've never heard that before. Yeah, isn't it a nice idea? Like, all the flowers that died, they went to live in the rainbow. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, John. <laughs> well, here's another thing that's not supposed to be funny. I thought it was hilarious when he died and he, he grabbed his ghost Bible to take with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like he comes out of his body and then he grabs his hat and the bible but of course they're left behind so it's like he grabbed a ghost bible and i thought it was hilarious and it probably wasn't supposed to be <laughs> and then it's like what happened to the body <laughs> like after he's gone he's surrounded by woodland creatures <laughs> and okay i'm not saying that i'm not saying that they ate him <laughs> I'm just saying there was nobody there to bury him and nobody was there from all appearances. <laughs> yes, the squirrels got out their tiny shovels and made him a beautiful grave. Um, this seems so inappropriate. <laughs> I don't know. It's really, it's, it's the questions that you shouldn't ask while watching an unrealistic cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, is, this took a turn that I wasn't expecting. This took a weirder turn than the snow snow cartoon. <laughs> I just, I had, yeah. It, I guess my adult brain is like, you're alone in the woods. What is happening to the body now? Anybody, they, they found him three weeks later or Johnny Appleseed was never found. Just, yeah. I doubt that that happened. I think he probably died in town because there was an obituary. Because I read his obituary on Wikipedia. So somebody Good knew where he you. died. Good for you. <laughs> okay. Aren't you glad that you have us to talk about these cartoons? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, and the, sing the singer. Another one that you would think that I would know about, but apparently, you know, it's not necessary for me to know all of pop culture from the 40s, but Dennis Day did most or all of the voices for this cartoon, and he was, well, he had a lovely voice, and he had his own show at one point, and I'd never heard of him, so... There you go. There's another name if you're if you're interested in the culture of the 40s. Another person to know about, apparently. <laughs> I'd never heard of him, but you wouldn't expect me to have, because I'm not as much into that as there is. Mm. I thought he sounded familiar, and he might have... I might have recognized him, because it said he played in Babes in Toyland, which I know I watched years mm -hmm. ago. So... Who knows? Maybe I was more familiar with him than Sarah. Well, and watching this cartoon, you would have already... Oh, that's true, yeah. You would have already known his voice. That's true. Well, speaking of singers from that time, the next short again features the Andrews sisters. Woo! <laughs> this one is Little Toot, about a little tugboat. Yeah. That, mischievous there, there's, tugboat. There's a name that'll get in your head. 
<laughs> and he's not that mischievous. And he's just, he's little, but they, it's like little toot needs to grow up. Yeah, that's like a recurring lyric, isn't it? They keep saying he needs to grow up. Or like, when are you, you going to grow up? Yeah. And first, he's messing around too much and he gets in trouble for that. Um, and then he's trying to help his dad, but he's not doing it right. And he, this is they're where... They're trying to rescue an, an ocean liner, and he's pushing on the rudder, which makes it turn. Well, just, just to pull it into the harbor. I think it was mm -hmm. just regular work. But then this gets really exaggerated where this ship is spinning around. And then this took a turn that neither of us really <laughs> expected. This giant ship ends up... In slight Godzilla fashion, just... <laughs> Taking out half the city. <laughs> like, it's laying in the city. And, you know, outside of cartoons, as this had happened, people died. Yeah. And it was Little Toot's fault. <laughs> when I was writing my notes while watching it, I I was not expecting that. So I just pre presumptively wrote... He almost causes an accident, and then that happened. I was like, what? So I crossed out almost. And this is where it gets really weird. Like... <laughs> okay, so the, the, po the police have a chain around Little Toot's neck. Like an iron... Um, shackle. I? Yes, an iron shackle around Little Toot's neck, and they are, are towing him away. And he's trying to look for some friendliness. There is no friendliness. And his dad has been demoted to hauling a, a, garbage a large pile of green, <laughs> nasty garbage with whatever else in it. And this is what, where Jonathan just started laughing uproariously, because they take him... Well, his okay, he had one friend left. His little bird friend was waving goodbye. Maybe it was the seagull from the opera whale. He needed a new friend, and now his and new he friend just, was being... He's like... <laughs> his friend's end in tragedy. The, the seagull is codependent or something. Like, he's not... He, he Or he's just trying to help the underdog or something. I don't know. Anyway, they take him to the limits of the city or whatever or the limits of the it's harbor. I like 12 mile marker so like 12, mile. 12 miles out to sea. And then they abandon him <laughs> at sea. This youth. He's a little kid. <laughs> and this and I'm like teach your children discipline but I'm not sure that this is the right story. Um, so he's just left to fend for himself in the ocean Oh, and we're not done yet. There are these buoys, which are voiced by the Andrew sisters, you can tell. But they managed to make them sound creepy. And they also have sharp teeth and evil eyes. And they're swaying towards him, saying, like... Bad boy. Shame. <laughs> and this is us doing it in a nice way, compared to them. In, like, three creepy harmony. Three-part creepy harmony um there's a sentence you didn't think you were gonna hear um, about the andrews sisters they did a three-part creepy harmony um well he manages to get past them 
And then there's this gigantic boat that is stuck on a rock and little Toot's going to save them. And he sends out the SOS, so the boats are coming and they're having a hard time. Meanwhile, he is saving this very large ship. But All hey. by himself, but for some reason. Like, he gets hit by lightning and that gives him strength or motivation, probably. <laughs> for me, it would probably be me lying on the ground. <laughs> Being like, why? Um, <laughs> why is this happening to me? <laughs> Am I going to be damaged for life? Um, anyway, <laughs> he is saving the boat. And then at some point, he is completely submerged under the water. So my brain is vaguely wondering, is Little Toot going to die on the cartoon? <laughs> but he manages to come up out of the water and then he, it's totally okay okay that he killed thousands of civilians and shamed his father um because he saved this other boat after being abandoned at sea by humanity um boat manatee boat manatee <laughs> and <laughs> the end <laughs> so if you want the phrase little toot to get stuck in your head and you may have the urge to start calling your cat or your loved ones little toot, um, watch this cartoon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I liked the other Andrew sisters cartoon a lot better with, yeah. with the hats. But this one was kind of catchy at times. Oh, catchiness it had <laughs> <sighs> yeah okay so yeah that it was a cartoon it was a cartoon and i i don't know what to take away from it it, it does it does show um a greater sense of this idea of honor and shame which isn't a totally bad thing because you should try and be helpful and honorable and mature and everything, but it just did it in kind of a weird, exaggerated <laughs> way. <Yeah. laughs> so, so make of that what you will. And, and now everybody's going to want to watch a little too. <laughs> well, I don't know how true this is, but the Disney wiki credits little toot as being the inspiration for a British show called tugs, which apparently was in turn ins the inspiration for a Canadian series called Theodore Tugboat, which I grew up watching. I was wondering if that's where you were going with that, because it's like, oh my goodness, thank you, Little Toot. I didn't know that I, I owed you so much. <laughs> because I grew up watching that show, too. Mm -hmm. That is how I learned about Starfruit. What would my life be? Like, I would have learned about Starfruit later. <laughs> if I hadn't watched that show, it could have been years before I knew. <laughs> but yeah, that I don't know how I would feel about that show now, but I liked it back then. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's something I need to revisit, along with Dragon Tales, and see where my brain level was. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot of Theater Tugboat, but I know I, we watched it. Oh, yeah. It was a good show. 
from what I can remember, that's rather vague at the moment. So if it's a, actually a bad show, don't judge me for that. Because it was a <laughs> long time ago. But it's probably, it, I, it'd probably still be cute to watch mm -hmm. now as a little... I should, I should look it up. It's probably along the same lines as Thomas the Tank Engine. But boats. Yeah. <laughs> and... And the original series, the one, the Tugs, which was apparently directly inspired by Little Toot, that one was made by the same people who did Thomas the Tank Engine. Okay. And I believe one of the directors later went on to work on Theater Tugboat. Sure. So, I don't know what all inspired what, but, like, a lot of similar people were working on these, so... I'm sure Little Toot is some form of inspiration at some point, because that was one thing that I thought was, like, Little Toot looks so familiar. He looks like that one character that I can't remember the name of. And I feel like I thought about that show while we were watching this, but also as somebody who grew up in a landlocked state, it was probably good to watch a show that talked about mm -hmm. boats. Give me a little bit broader perspective. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of PBS shows were good for that. Yes. Like the big comfy couch gave us perspective on clown culture. <laughs> <laughs> Clowns are people too. <laughs> and dust bunny culture. Yeah. The forgotten yeah. ones. Unless you're Japanese, <laughs> which they probably have opinions about. <laughs> okay, that, okay. <laughs> okay, that was a, a dust bunny trail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have like the, the clock song in my head. Dee, 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 dee. You know, from the big comfy couch. Yeah. She had skills. Anyway. Oh, I forgot to mention too, I wrote this down and I don't, Little Toot seemed vaguely familiar. I don't remember almost any of it. But apparently it was featured on the show Sing Me a Story with Belle, which was like an early 90s thing that I remember Dad taping a few episodes of, like early in the morning. I think it was like Sunday mornings. It's probably, it might be your version of Bananas in Pajamas where this is just a very vague memory. Yeah. So... That might be why Little Toot seemed vaguely familiar, because I vaguely remember Sing Me a Story with Belle, okay. but I don't remember much about the show. I just vaguely remember watching it. And I was, if we watched that, I was probably in diapers or something. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, next short is Trees, based on the poem by Joyce Kilmer, performed by Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians. I.e. probably the best cartoon in this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, the, I'm more... See, okay. I already was familiar with this song. I already have listened... It's, it's one of my songs. Paul Robeson did a version of it. If you don't know who Paul Robeson is, you need to look him up. He's historically significant. Um, but that might be another podcast. Um, and then Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians, they're one of, and Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians are also significant. I had already recently been listening to them do a version of The Sweetheart of Sigma Chi, 
probably from the 1920s, so I was surprised to see them on a series from 1948. Well, the band formed in 1918, and apparently they had a lot of staying power. <laughs> um, but hey, it happens. So, yeah, th I already had a familiar base to go from with this cartoon, but even if I didn't, they did such a beautiful job! The artwork on this, we were both mm -hmm. so impressed. Not only was the music beautiful, but the art was wonderful. This is what this is what you want from a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Nature, the changing of seasons, and a lot of artistry a lot of artistry thrown in. There was one point where they were zoomed in on a scene of trees and when they zoomed out it was a reflection in a single droplet of rain. Like you go, Disney. Mm. And one point you're zoomed in on these really bright colors that you assume are maybe part of the landscape. And as they zoom out, it's this fluttering fall leaf. Mm -hmm. And it was great. Yeah. And another thing, if you're not paying attention, um, I pointed this out to Jonathan because it's so easy to miss lyrics. And I'm already familiar with the song. At the end, you have a tree on the hill, and it's glowing and kind of, I don't know, the, the artistry at the end scene, there was a part where it was kind of, I don't know, whitish or strangely white, but then they have, like, this glowing coming from behind the tree, and I thought that the tree looked kind of like a cross on the hill, which would be, it would be an allusion to Jesus' death on the cross, and the end line of the poem is, poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. So I think that they were tying um, an allusion to Christianity in with the poem. So just, you know, be observant of that as you're watching it so that you get more of the experience of what they were trying to communicate with with the cartoon. This is This is one of those where it's just like, Oh, you guys are doing something right. It was just... I, I'm I'm already just kind of biased because I, I like that song, but they could have wrecked it. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> well, I was familiar with this poem because it was partially performed on The Muppet Show. I don't know if you've seen that episode. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Do you know who Wayne and Wanda are, the two singers? The, and... Do they dance, too, or do they just sing? I think they just sing. Something terrible always happens to them every time they perform. So, so they were probably trying to sing a very deep, poetic song, probably in an extremely hammy way, and got cut off. And a tree fell on them. <laughs> oh, okay. This is not that version, people. Well, I, I, even before I'd seen The Muppet Show, that version, that little half of a part not even half of a song, was on an album that Mom had on cassette from The Muppet Show that I think she had when she was a teenager. So I'd heard this rendition played many times before I'd even seen The Muppet Show. But so, you never heard the whole song? No, I just heard, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. Cree crash! <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. It's probably funny to watch, but yeah, that's, 
that's like the version that you get to after you've already been familiar with the song for decades and then the Muppets does something silly with it. That's what would have happened with people back uh -huh. then. They would have already been very familiar with it. <laughs> well, going back to the art, I wanted to read directly off the, the wiki page because the way that they did the art on this short was really unique. I've never heard of them doing this before, but... It says, to preserve the look of the original story sketches, layout artist Ken O'Connor came up with the idea of using frosted cells and render the pastel images right onto the cell. Like, pastel is in the art implement. Like, Which is very crumbly. close to paint. It's like in, in that field. It's soft and crumbly. So they're putting pastels right on the cell. And it says, before being photographed, each cell was laminated in clear lacquer to protect the pastel. The result was a look that had never been seen in animation before. Wow. Which is really cool. because, And you can tell looking at this, it looks different. It looks like moving art in a different way than the rest of the cartoons. And I, I, love, I love it when you can watch a cartoon and get something deeper out of it and it it's filled with nature, and it's very artistic. Mm -hmm. So this checked boxes for me, for sure. Yeah. Even though it was one that had narration, or not narration, but like the poem, spoken word, I still feel like it would have fit right into Fantasia. But I don't think that they spoke any of it. No, but like Fantasia didn't have ly oh, lyrical okay, okay. songs. Okay. That's what I mean. Well, they could have totally done it without without the words, and people would have still gotten something out of it. But I like it with the words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next one. That's probably the most positive thing you're going to hear me <laughs> go on about on this bit. Probably. I mean, art-wise, this was the best one. Mm. But I think my favorite might be the next one. Which is Blame It on the Samba. Oh, well, I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> this is like the spiritual sequel to Three Caballeros. <laughs> it's very <What>? short. <laughs> I mean, it feels like a sequel. It's not a sequel, but it feels like one. I I wondered if it was cut from the original because it's so much. Yeah, it does feel like it could have been. Like they ended up with a little extra bit and they're like, oh, we need to cut this down, but we still want to use this. Yeah. So... If, that, if that's what happened, I would not be surprised, because it just feels like it was directly taken from that. And this was another one that introduced me to people that I was not familiar with. Ethel... Ethel Smith, who's Ethel, an organist. Yes. And she was in live action in this part. Yes. Beautiful organist, um, mad skills, and I've never heard of her. <laughs> but it's one of those organs where if you hear it, it sounds like the old-timey organ that mm -hmm. would have been popular. And the Dinning Sisters. Like, I had never heard of the Dinning Sisters before, but another famous trio? I doubt as famous. Like, it couldn't be as famous as the Andrews Sisters. I would have heard of them. And I maybe recognized one of their songs, and I don't know if that was even original to them. Mm -hmm. So maybe if I dug a little deeper. But that was interesting. But the main point of this short is we see Donald Duck and Jose Carioca again. And they're like blue and they're walking through the jungle. 
and the Araquan bird has a restaurant, apparently, and he has them come into his restaurant, and he tries to cheer them up, and he's doing all sorts of things, and he makes this giant drink, which Ethel Smith appears in, playing the organ. But technically, he puts them in the drink. He has them in the cocktail shaker or whatever, and puts them mm. into the liquid. This is like, this is a whole cocktail of things that people would have already been familiar with and loved. Probably the Dinning Sisters, Ethel, these characters. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have had broad appeal. Yeah. And once everyone gets into the drink, this is basically where it just becomes Three Caballeros madness. It's like yeah, just crazy animation, all sorts of strange, random things happening. At one point they blow up the organ she's playing, but she keeps playing and the organ like reforms. Yeah, it she's looks fine. so cool. The, the the animation was so good in that scene. It just everything about this was like madcap craziness. And there and were singing lips that it. were patterned like there were polka dot lips. Yeah, the, that this is where those lips came in and that's But it's like, not in a disturbing way. It's just in no. a creative way. Yeah. Just so yeah, all sorts of creativity. Here. And you had some of the jungle type scenery that you had in previously mentioned. Saludos amigos, the train scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's really interesting art with mm -hmm. the black background and the colorful foliage on top of it. This is another one I think Mary Blair had. She to have had to have had to, have. Mm. and it was really the. The jungle plants are just so pretty. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is my favorite one entertainment-wise. Tree is my favorite art-wise. This is my favorite one entertainment-wise. Well, this, like this and the Johnny Appleseed, they just, they make me want to make stylistic plants, <laughs> trees. I, you know, I need to go home and make some art based off of these. It's good inspiration. Yeah. It's good to see the different styles and the colors and so lovely. Yeah. And I and it really it ties into basically a South American craze that was going on in the forties. I'm not sure the forty eight might have been starting to wrap it up. Mm. And I wonder how much Disney with their trip to South America and all the stuff that came from that helped to inspire that. But then you also, you have South American inspired live films as well. Very musical. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this, this probably would have tied in with that very neatly at the time as well. And then from one of the best ones to... One of the worst ones, the last segment, Pecos it's, Bill. It started out so well. It start, it seemed very promising at the beginning. The The desert scene that they had, the music. Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers are basically the, the singers and the narrators of this story. And, I and just, they're, they're a group that I was actually familiar with because I grew up listening to them because my dad loves the Sons of the Pioneers. He had, I don't know how many CDs that he would play every Sunday. And I feel like people are going to know the name Roy Rogers <laughs> no, more definitely. than the Sons 
way more than the Sons of the Pioneers, but it should be noted that he was one of the founding members mm -hmm. of the Sons of the Pioneers. They were originally called the Pioneer Trio. They added another person. Somebody at a radio, radio station was like, you guys are too young to be pioneers. You're going to be the Sons of the Pioneers. And they liked it. It sounds better and more memorable. It is me more anyway. memorable. It started out and it was just so peaceful. The animation and the singing was just so chilled out and peaceful. You had these little quail running along <laughs> and probably a couple of tortoises and the howling of the coyotes, which is not peaceful in real life, but the way they <laughs> did it was more peaceful. And it was like... The cartoon itself was actually, the desert was pretty. Yeah. No, it was like a night nighttime scene, and the song was called Blue Shadows on the Trail. And apparently this song was then later chosen by the Western Writers of America as one of the top 100 songs of all time. So this song was a big deal. Which, in and of itself, is just a very mellow mm -hmm. song. And cowboy lovers are probably going to like it unless mm. they're just... My dad in, would love it. He probably already could whistle the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's another thing. They had very skilled whistling. So if you if you listen to Old West music and, and you're into... Yeah, you, you'd totally be into this. For a little yeah. while, at least. For, <laughs> if Maybe in, the whole thing, but... If you're into the whole thing, you're a certain brand of person. <laughs> um, and then... Sort of oddly, but unsurprisingly, you zoom in on a live action. Yeah, they've part. They've, they've got all these well, the sons of the pioneers and, and some Roy children. Rogers, and the children are Bobby Driscoll and Luanna Patton, who were in two other Disney movies around the same time: Song of which, the South, which we haven't gotten to yet, and uh, So Dear to My Heart. And of course, you have his horse Trigger, right? Yeah. Yep. And there were, I feel like there were a couple other There were probably some extra extras there. children, maybe extra cowboys, I don't know. But they were fillers. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. The, the kids are, they have a bunch of questions. They're wondering why coyotes howl. So he decides to tell them the story of Pecos Bill, because this is going to explain why coyotes, why coyotes howl. howl. Which you can, okay, if you don't know... In less than 10 seconds, probably, that can be explained. They're communicating with each other. They don't have cell phones. <laughs> that, you know, it makes sense. They're not just like, hey, I felt like yelling right now. Well, they might. But, <laughs> you know, they're locating little Susie and Bobby over by the stream. Luana and Bobby. <laughs> they're hunting for these two children in particular. Oh, Okay. <laughs> For destroying their their knowledge base. I don't know. By this weird tale. This is just an example of... Uh, how do I even want to say this? It's an over-glorification of the American cowboy. Mm, yeah. And I don't think that the American cowboy is a totally evil figure. I'm not coming from that perspective but it's it's a very exaggerated tall tale of all these things that Pecos Bill did <laughs> he what was it he okay let's start from the beginning Pecos Bill's messed up origin story <laughs> 
and that's really it could be described as an origin story. Yeah. Because what would have been great is if it had been a love story between the two people coming in on the wagon because they weren't that good looking or young and that would have been something fresh and different. <laughs> <laughs> But no, they were already married, and they had 16 brats, as the, the cartoon said. <laughs> and, and they lost one and didn't notice. <laughs> yes, Pecos fell out the back as an infant next to a river or stream or whatever it was that wasn't fit to drink in a desert and grew up to be a super-powered adult. Okay, if you were abandoned as an infant in the desert, first off... Your dinner. Second <laughs> off, if some by some strange miracle you're not dinner, this is where I'm going to be annoyingly technical. There is a small window in your life where your brain is super powered to learn language. And if you don't learn language within that period, you can learn very, very little for the rest of your life. You're basically handicapped. For the rest of your life if you don't take advantage of that. And I know that from traumatic reading that I have done in the past. <laughs> um, but no, he was fine. He was raised by coyotes. He found, The mama found him lying on her pile of babies. And instead of ripping his throat out and feeding him to her young, she suckled him. <laughs> <laughs> Tenderly. Which was kind of... Weird and slightly unsettling. <laughs> that also reminds me of cats where, you know, after they birth, they have this window of time where their hormones are skyrocketed high and any kind of weird thing could wander into their, their den and they're like, I am a mother. I will... Mother this python, you know. <laughs> you know, my food is your food. And that's an exaggeration, but you can find it on YouTube. They'll they'll mother a puppy, they'll mother what was it, a duck? I think I've seen the cat with a duck. Yeah. And so but this coyote was probably past that window. Um <laughs> but let's just pretend she wasn't and she decided that this was one of her young. And he grew up yelling a lot and chewing on a woolly mammoth bone, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about it at the time, but where, what would that gigantic bone have come from? Definitely not a bison, because that was way bigger than a bison. This is a, this is, it fits in with the tale of Pecos Bill. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not about realism in any way, shape, or form. Um, and he basically could tame anything. He could, you know, yell down a, a rattlesnake or a poisonous snake or whatever. He could, what did he make, the Rio Grande or something? Yeah, he dug the Rio Grande and he lassoed a cloud from California. He dragged it across the U.S. and it, uh, I think it made the Gulf of Mexico. And he shot every star of the sky except for one star because it was the Lone Star State. <laughs> we owe him so much. <laughs> But here's the thing, okay, his horse, who was called Widowmaker, <laughs> but he never makes any, well, I guess he sort of made Pecos into a widow. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, the sad little horse comes along, and the buzzards want to eat him, and Pecos adopt, adopts him, basically. But the scene when the buzzards came, it almost looked like a scene out of the birds, because it was this, like, almost tornado of birds swarming around this horse, and then, like, dive-bombing him. At one point, at what point does Pecos miraculously have adult clothing and is supposed to be a relatively normal adult. Is it after he gets the horse or before? I don't remember. But either way... <laughs> it all kind of runs together. And there is there is a western town, so somewhere in here, civilization does show up somewhere, and he he can roll a cigarette on his tongue, so somewhere in there he, he took up smoking as well. Um, yeah, and this is, this is another scene. I think we talked about it in Solidos Amigos... At some point, that scene was edited out because of the cigarette. What, this one with him rolling it? Or? Yeah. Well, he had a cigarette in his mouth before that and after that, so... They digitally removed all cigarettes, and then they cut out the whole chunk of him rolling the cigarette in his mouth and where, where he's, like, lassoing a tornado, and then he uses lightning to light it. They apparently cut that whole scene out for the U.S. video release in 2000, but nowhere else in the world. Only U.S., and it's now back on Disney+. Plus. They which, put it back in. Which I kind of applaud them for, because obviously they were trying to make a push to say this isn't a good thing to do. And and that's that's wonderful. If you're smoking right now, please stop. Please be, please be well. <laughs> um, but for me, my brain goes back to my grandmother, who did not smoke, <laughs> by the way. But she rolled cigarettes for her father and i don't know maybe that makes it vaguely interesting to me that's it's totally not how you make she a cigarette didn't shove the whole thing in her mouth and roll it up with her yes, tongue yes she though, did she? she was mythical <laughs> she trained prairie dogs to roll cigarettes for her father hovering she was like the western snow white except with no, prairie dogs no, and cigarettes no she hovered over them with a shotgun and said, roll you suckers roll and then after they'd made enough cigarettes she'd shoot them and sell their tails what is this podcast becoming <laughs> what you get for having me on <laughs> i can tell a tall tale too <laughs> In the spirit of Pecos Bill. Um, and then she got asthma. <laughs> so, don't smoke, kids. Um, she and her brother both got asthma. And it was probably from living around a father who smoked. So, but no. She had she had a, a, a youthful skill of rolling cigarettes. So that just reminded me of that. Um... But no, it's it's an unnecessary part of the cartoon. But honestly, it, it would also probably be a fairly accurate depiction. But of course, yeah, oh, another ramble. Back in the day, how many cowboys would have been wandering around with cigarettes in their mouth? I don't really know. I don't know how popular it was. You always see it in movies. Because in the 40s, cigarettes would have been extremely popular. But mm -hmm. back in the day, would they have been doing that or would they have you know would that be more in the evening to relax with a pipe or a cigar or something or 
I don't know. This is a, I, I now have a historical question that is not necessarily relevant to this podcast. Anyway. Oh, the Native Americans were probably before his love affair, weren't they? <laughs> that was during the scene where he was like digging the Rio Grande and stuff. So while he was busy digging the Rio Grande and stuff, the children had, had hoped, or was it the boy had hoped that... Indians would be in the tale, and and some were. They were. They had painted themselves, and they were doing a war dance. But the most ridiculous war dance. They were like slapping paint all over each other during this war dance. And uh, Pecos. What did they say? They beat them at their little game or something. I don't remember. It was something that sounded patronizing. Um, <laughs> but the Indians ran off, and the paint came off of them, which created the painted desert. Which, yeah, myth and legend of Pecos Bill. And then they ended that part of the tale with Ugg. Someday we may do an in-depth podcast about Native American culture and the Photographs of Edward S. Curtis. But this is not that podcast. (laughs) Uh, Just know that if you are Native American or if you care about Native Americans, you're probably going to have issues with this cartoon (laughs) in a couple of places. Um, But that was a very brief thing. It was not the whole cartoon. There are other issues that come up with this cartoon as well. Eh, close to this, his his love affair begins with Slewfoot Sue. Slewfoot Sue has a giant catfish that she rides down the river that fluffs up her shorter than historically accurate skirt to show her underpants, which were not the giant bloomers from the first cartoon. No, she looks more like she could have been from the forties, except for if she was. Alive in the 40s, she would have needed medical care because she was basically starving, but yet with giant, um, but yet very, uh, (laughs) how do I want to put this? (laughs) She had a tiny anorexic waist, but was very curvy. (laughs) So I think anorexic is too chubby to describe her waist. It was, it was a little... A little line. <laughs> <laughs> a little pinched line. But she had a lot of muscle aside from that because she could she could ride a bucking horse. And a wear, bucking catfish too. And wear flaming red lipstick. And she was a very pretty cartoon woman because she was a cartoon. If she, you know, cartoons are not about realistic human proportions on men or women. This is another thing, though, that I noticed. It's similar to when we did the Make My Music. Like, those, the hot girl and the ugly guy. <laughs> the, those guys were good-looking compared to Pecos. I guess, though. Pecos was, like, like with, exceptionally ugly. With those ones, like, with the Martins and the Coys, I didn't care. It's like, oh, it's a burly dude. She's a highly feminine woman. They're attracted to each other. With the baseball one, no, it was a burly dude, but he wasn't that good looking, but whatever. With this one, he wasn't good looking, 
And he was really skinny. He smoked. He had crazy eyes, weird hair. <laughs> and when he was falling in love with her, his behavior, um, his crazed behavior was not attractive. <laughs> no, he was insane. So it, it did not make sense unless, of course, she knew his skill set of carving out bodies of water and chasing off native peoples. You know, if she knew all that about him, of course she was attracted to him. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, this was supposed to be, like, settler days, and if somebody had looked like her back then, they would have assumed, um, that she had services to offer, and, (laughs) 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 for money. (laughs) Um, but no, she was just supposed to be the babe that automatically, of course, fell in love with him, and set the wedding day because didn't they say that she set the wedding day and they might have like oh yeah she she sure got him and there was supposed to be this whole scene where they were courting and i think pecos was influencing astronomy <laughs> yeah those are the i think that was the part where he was shooting all the stars out of the sky except for one well no there was like this i don't know there was like the these hearts and riding in the sky, and his horse was crying, which now starts to sound like a bizarre dream. (laughs) (laughs) But this is where the story gets tragic. (laughs) And so dumb, as if it wasn't dumb before this. She wanted a bustle for their wedding day, and I question the historical accuracy of the construction of that bustle, but I'd have to Google that. Before she put the dress on, it looked like she was wearing a bee tail. <laughs> and she goes sashaying out in an exaggerated fashion while being drooled over by the male populace. And she wants to ride Widowmaker. And so she gets on Widowmaker, and Widowmaker, he's not cool with this relationship, and he's not cool with her, and he's bucking like crazy. But her downfall was the bustle. She starts to bounce. (laughs) Like, what does she fall off, and she starts bouncing into the heavens? This is so bizarre, people. (laughs) Like... She's bouncing in an extreme way, but she doesn't die. She doesn't stop. She just keeps bouncing up on... Higher and higher, which, like, goes against all laws of physics. And Pecos tries to lasso her. He's very cocky about it, which is so Old West. Like, where is John Wayne here to... This is just, yeah, the tone, the tone. But his horse steps on the rope, and he misses with... The lasso, so basically the horse ends the relationship. This this doesn't seem like a healthy relationship between him and his horse. <laughs> like they needed counseling or something before, <laughs> before this marriage was to take place. Anyway, she bounces onto the moon. <laughs> Why? Just... And so, do you even remember what this story was originally supposed to be about? It's supposed to be, Why Do Coyotes Howl? <laughs> You forgot all about that by now, didn't you? (laughs) Well, Pecos is sad because his woman bounced herself onto the moon with her metal 
bustle or whatever it was. And so he howls, and then the coyotes feel sad about his howling, and so they howl too. The end. <laughs> <laughs> and do you go back to the campfire after that? Do you, is there I any live action? Bit, yeah. And I had so much emotion by the end of this cartoon. I don't even know what all, everything that I was feeling. <laughs> it was so wrong. It was just, it was so wrong. I, the, the cocky portrayal of the cowboy, the suggestive portrayal of the woman, the even more cocky portrayal of the cowboy, the disrespectful, portrayal of Native Americans. <sighs> it was a lot of weird hamminess and like I don't think that people it's Stalin-esque if that is even a word to rewrite history but when you look back on something like this and you say that's not cool they were the ones rewriting history. <laughs> And it wasn't supposed to be taken that seriously. But stuff like that has an impact. Mm -hmm. When you act superior like that. And you act wolfish like that. It does actually mean something. It's not based on mutual respect between different types of people. And men and women. And you know. I, I don't want to be overly critical about the period because there were actually really good things about the old western period as well as the 1940s but there was some arrogance involved probably a lot of arrogance involved in this cartoon that wasn't right and it was just weird and not was it even funny at all where it was in a way that it was supposed to be funny? I don't think so. I don't remember laughing at the jokes at all. So, if you watch this, I would say watch the very beginning and quit when you get to the live action. And you'll probably leave with a good feeling. Because it will just be chilled out and you can see some pretty animation of the desert mm -hmm. with blooming cacti and stuff and and some pronghorns that look like Bambi just leave it at that because the rest of it unless you feel like being upset or you have a glorified notion of the old west that is not historically accurate then feel free wait just don't don't actually feed that. Just don't. Don't watch this cartoon. Unless you have a good reason for watching this cartoon. Don't watch this cartoon. That's my opinion. <laughs> well, actually watch documentaries. If you want to... I mean, I realize that this was supposed to be a hammy story. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I may go into Ramble Overdrive. But, but I don't think that it's harmless. <laughs> so we'll actually watch some good documentaries... Maybe read documents from, well, definitely do, read quotations or documents 
from the actual time period if you want to learn about that. But be careful how you let something like this paint your perceptions. No pun intended. <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder about Disney's much later Western film that I've never seen yet called Home on the Range. I'm wondering if it's a better portrayal of the Old West. I don't know. I've never seen it, so I have no frame of reference. I wonder how I would feel about Caddy Woodlong now. <laughs> ah, that's another thing. Um, but no, it was such a weird, sour note to end mm -hmm. this compilation on that we will be doing you a favor if we tell you to stop where I say to stop. Then you can actually walk away from the compilation feeling like you got a taste of that era and you saw some good art and you learned something without being super offended. Yeah, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but like, I feel like between Make My Music and Melody Time, there is a really good film in here. You just have to pick and, pick choose, and choose. And put together segments. what you like. Yeah. There's, like, one really good film and one kind of terrible film. <laughs> Just mix them up and then throw one away and watch the other one. Archive the one for when you want to... Yeah, don't throw it away. Put it in the archives and then you can watch it later as a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. But, yeah, I feel like... I I would have put this one, if if you must include it, I would put this one at the beginning to get it out of the way. Sure. Maybe lower people's expectations, and then by the end, <laughs> they're maybe, like, this is a lot better than it started. Maybe end it with trees or something. There was another suggestion that I saw, I don't remember, I just read it online. Somebody said that a better way to end would be with Johnny Appleseed, because of the way that cartoon ends. It'd mm. be like the perfect cap to all of the with death. shorts. I guess so. But like, it was kind of a hopeful death. <laughs> Like yeah. going up to heaven and the, the it trees. It makes me think of Fantasia when it's the wrestle between good and evil, and at the oh, end yeah. they're trying to end on a hopeful yeah, note. Yeah, the Ave Maria segment. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think of that, but that is a good analogy. But no, they didn't. And when you think about it, the tale doesn't even have a happy ending, so they didn't even no. try <laughs> to end it on a really positive note. The weird thing was, I looked up a little bit more about Pecos Bill, who is completely fictionalized. He wasn't based on anybody, as far as I can tell. Mm. That's not the only way that they've ended his story. Like, the other versions of the story have her coming back, like he, him actually catching her, and then making up with the horse. So I don't know why they chose to give it this downer ending, other than to answer the weird question of why coyotes howl. Which, honestly, for a child or an adult, it's a legitimate question. It's just super easy to answer without some big windy. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's melody time. A mixed bag that, on the whole, I think I liked better than Make My Music. Yeah. Even yeah. though it did end on a weird note. <laughs> I would re-watch stuff from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would re-watch most of this. Which I don't know how much I could say for a lot of the last one. Yeah, even the best ones, like the most artistic ones in Make Mine Music, they were kind of dull. 
Like you had the one with the ballet dancers and the one with the windows and the trees. They they looked good, but they weren't very memorable. I think probably the most memorable one for me right now is the one with the hats. Yeah. <laughs> like you could actually play that for children. Mm-hmm. So And I even though it ended weirdly, I did actually like the opera whale. <laughs> Just seeing him in all the different opera costumes. Sure. That one isn't so tragic that you can't stomach it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, on the whole, I think this is a better film. I just wish it had ended better. We're here to warn you. Yeah. Have fun watching if you so choose. <laughs> okay, I think that's going to be all for this episode. I guess we will see you next time when we watch The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Okay. Bye. Thank you to Sarah for joining me for this episode. Like we said at the end of the episode, we'll be back next time for the final film in Disney's package feature lineup, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Disney Movie Marathon.